Michelle is a great example of what you can do as an adult to reinvent yourself. And a great example as an artist to not, you know, kind of keep yourself pigeonholed into one subject matter or genre. Um, yeah, I like her. She's a great inspiration and an inspiration for curiosity and keep learning. Keep learning. And to just put the work out there because I think that that's where a lot of people fail is that they get to a cycle of what we use as an excuse and typically we call it perfectionism. And a lot of times it's more important to take a risk, do the thing, get it seen and right. and then move on. And like she right. said in the, in the conversation, it could be negative, but that doesn't mean that the work is bad. And you know, that's, it's all part of that massive process of becoming the artist that you really want to be. Right. And then don't also, when you're engaging in something like that, let yourself be free and don't trap yourself in the idea that what am I doing this for? This isn't good for anything. What, what makes you think that? Do it for the sake of doing it. You are not going to sell that knitted sweater that you just knitted, but you did it and you finished it. And you know what? Also, FYI, who cares if you finish it? <laughs> you know? um, one of the things, some of the things we didn't talk about on this episode was um, that so many artists have uh, the work in progress scattered all over their studio. You know, I'm halfway through this one. I've only got a sketch on this one. This one's gone through an underpainting, but has no, you know, color on it. And so also if you're playing and you're creating, don't actually force yourself to think you have to do something from beginning to end, you know, have seven things going on, you know, play around. And again, you are trapped sometimes into thinking, if I don't finish this, I fail. Well, just start it. All that yeah, matters is start. You, just start it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. definitely. My greatest pleasure meeting Michelle Jung when I first met her um, over a Zoom call for an article was the fact that she is so down to earth and able to kind of talk about her work um, pretty directly. And um, it makes it approachable because you can, you can't, she, she talks about how she get, doesn't communicate well without her art, but she really does give kind of um, an approachable sense of what she's doing. Like if you ask her, how did you get this done? What motivates you? She's, she's got an answer for everything, really. And I, and I think it's because she's doing what she loves. It's not hard for her to respond to these inquiries because she's living it. You know, I, I like the, the, there's a quote that I can't attribute right now, and it's something like, um, lawyers and doctors have a practice, artists have a life, you know? So I like to call it the art life, and Michelle Jung is living it, and um, this conversation is just proof of her passion. Well, first things first, that view, holy cow. Yeah. Michelle, that's amazing. Oh, yeah, view. That is amazing. Studio. Yay. That's the view. Wow, lady. Oh, my God. Whoa. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big. They're downstairs working, so hopefully they will, won't walk in. But it's been snowing. Yeah. I saw that nice. with a friend who lives in Vegas, and he was showing the oh. mountains are just covered in snow. It's amazing. Yeah, they're snow. covered right there. You nice. see? Yeah, that's incredible. A sight you don't good. see often out there. Yeah, it's crazy. It's been snowing. It snowed twice this week. Crazy. Now, do I have a? This is that. I don't want in. Or does it matter? There. That looks great. Hopefully, it won't fall. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that looks amazing. So, just quickly, what's the plan for for the studio space? Then, is that? Do you have a TV hanging up over there? Is that what I saw? Uh, yes, that'll be for NFTs or um, when people come to view art, I could have my work uh, going through like a file. Right oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I don't watch TV while I work. Right. Yeah, um, no. You listen to music while you work, don't you? I do. I listen to um, podcasts and um, classical music. Nice. What's a podcast of choice that'll keep you in the zone while you're working? I listen to all of them. So I think it's really important, all the art ones. So I think it's important to listen to all of them so you can get a general sense of what's happening. For me, it's not about one person and 
their viewpoint and then their guests. It's more a collective that I gather all the information and then I have an idea of um, really what's happening in the world. Basically. Just as far as like um, anything art or do you, Michelle, do you specifically listen to things that affect your genre? Like, are you seeking out episodes about realism? No. no. <laughs> I'm not seeking out anything. You're just letting I'm it. I'm taking it all in. Right on. Right. So there's art. There's the news about art. There's things that are happening during the week. And then there's... Um, podcasts about uh, the history of art. So I like to listen to those. Um, and then, you know, like you said, there's realism, there's abstract, there's feel good art, you know, like um, just anything. I just take it all in. And then in my mind, I get a general sense of um, like where I fit in. Oh, yeah, I see what you yeah. mean by that. That's, because that's I think awesome. if you if you stick with one, it's too narrow minded. And then you're on that. Um, you start to not fit in because it's not you. Right. So yeah. start getting negative thoughts about uh, what you're seeing or what you're hearing instead of just taking it in and let it go. Right. And then there's so much uh, there's so many layered kind of nuances to being an artist where you're only you're presenting what you can to the public, but inside you're processing all this other stuff that, you know, like you just said, it's not all about realism. It couldn't possibly be just that, you know, Absolutely not, yeah. I think I just spoke to a guy who um, does plain air and pastel and he described himself as a closeted abstract expressionist. And so there you have it. Like he's telling me that his, his influences are Kandinsky and I was like, great. <laughs> you know, because <clears throat> that speaks to movement and color and, you know, one thing always speaks to another. It's there's so many things involved with making art. That's right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so I could read to you. You want to know which ones I listen to real quick? Sure. Does it yeah. matter? Okay. Yeah. I'll tell you what I listen to. You give us a short list. That'd be great. You're going you're gonna to laugh. What's in my library? My library has The Week in Art. That's really great. The Weekend Art, Talk Art, The Modern Art Notes, The American Art Collective, The Art World, Art Dealer Diaries, Art Tactic, uh, Cerebral Women Art Talks, Dialogues from David Swerner, A Brush With, John Dalton, Heidi Zuckerman, Art Intelligence, Considering Art, The Art Angle, Art Grind, Artist Mother Podcast, Art for Your Ear, Art Smack, The Conversation, Plain Air Podcast, Talking with Painters, A Savvy Painter, Art Law, which is really a good one. The Great Women Artists Podcast, Paths of Art, Art Talk, Thriving Artists, Artful Painter, Tough on Art, Art Bound, Artists of New England. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And I listen to every single one of them. And I'm never bored. Every single one of them is uh, new and interesting. And I think... Uh, listening to and from people all over the world not just my region or my area of interest and it just opens my mind and helps me understand like i said where i fit in you know i want to go right to the question of what were you like as a kid but you know the environment is everything and you know you were raised with multiple siblings and um you described yourself as a beach kid because you guys vacation on the beach and you now you just happen to be an artist who paints a seascapes, but you know you don't li limit yourself to that subject matter. And I have been trying to, uh, what I know about you, I know you have three siblings and I'm wondering what they're like. Um, are any of your brothers or sisters, um, well, you have one brother and two sisters, right? Two brothers, two brothers, one sister. Right. Yeah. And so are they um, in any kind of creative profession? Uh, no, they're not. Right. Yeah. Right. And so all of you are affected differently by the fact that your father um, was in law enforcement. That's right. And I understand that at least one of your siblings has followed in his footsteps. 
No. 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 <laughs> I'm getting it all wrong. I guess so. I, I mean, I can start from the beginning. You want me to start from the beginning? Uh, so yeah. My father, yeah. So my father was a police officer um, and he worked his way up to lieutenant. And uh, the four of us children, when we grew up, we didn't know he was a police officer, really, because he never wore his uniform and never brought the um, car home. So in, in that time, I don't know if it is now, uh, you couldn't be an officer in the town you lived in. So I don't know why protection probably, but he was, he would leave in his regular clothes and then come back in his regular clothes. So I don't recall uh, thinking my father's a police officer until high school, okay. uh, middle school. And uh, I thought of him as a coach. I thought he was a coach uh, because he was always at our, he was coaching our sports and he was with us all the time doing athletics. Right. So, I, I yeah. do remember that about you, that um, there's a certain competitiveness about your kind of makeup of your personality. And I feel that it has to do with your um, with somewhat with your athleticism. I think so. I think um, my father, there's videos of us where he's pitching the baseball to my brother. I'm uh, picking up all the balls because I'm so little. My sister's fielding, you know, so there was a system. We, we were always together and we i fell in line i was third so i even as we're walking in videos it's like the oldest the next the next the next and i don't know if that is because like you said uh having a father that was in the police force where we weren't disciplined at all but we had a sense of um what discipline is. Yeah, I, I don't, we all got along. We all loved each other. Our family was great. It was, it was a great environment, but it was competitive, but not in a bad way. It was a competitive of, can we get better? Right. So, and I was just going to ask you, like, when you're, when you're in the throes of doing that, you don't know anything else. That's just how you interact with your family. But did you feel like it was play or was there healthy competition? Were you you were trying to one up each other or were you no, playing? No, not at all. We weren't okay. one upping at all. Like uh, on Sundays, my dad would take us to, uh, you know, like a football field, random one. And we would all line up and then he'd have a sprint. And just, I don't know, being outside, I love to run, just trying to beat them. You know, I mean, I, it was a healthy competition. It wasn't. I have to beat him or, oh, I lost. There was, mm -hmm. there was none of that. It was, right. I was trying to be the best that I could be. And so I would say that one of the parts of your childhood that you bring into your present is that still that kind of sportsmanship competition because you still run all the time. Yeah, I did to this morning. I would, yeah, every day I run three to five miles. Fantastic. Is, yeah. And then you picked up golfing. I, I did during COVID, right? So, and that's competitive, true, but for yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, it's also true that as a creative professional, as an artist, you are also only, I don't want to say only competing with yourself, but you have to meet yourself with the canvas every day. And you're the one putting, you know, setting the bar and raising it. Um, surely it has to do with your profession and that you are competing with other artists, but you know, how do you keep, how do you keep leveling up, Michelle? I mean, you're in this kind of playful space. As we can see, you're building a new sandbox. <laughs> and yeah. And so you, uh, as a professional, you're lucky to have this, to be able to say, I am a creative professional. I feel that you, I feel that that's a lucky thing to be able to say, but you know, you have to adult it too, right? Cause you, <laughs> you have to be aware of outside competition you have to keep up with the studio space that you're going to like make welcoming to your clients and, you know, have people come by and see what you're doing and all that. So I, I want to ask you, do you feel like you're merging a sense of playfulness in your creative life with this sense of professionalism that obviously has to exist so that you can continue to, like I said, level up? So with playfulness, playfulness, you mean from my childhood of enjoyment? Because I'll tell you what, if I remember being a child walking through the woods by myself, 
in Connecticut and looking along the stream for for clay they had clay deposits and I would dig them out and make things with them and no one was showing me this and I don't know why I was doing it but that moved into um, being creative in school and then after school and then throughout my life and I haven't had a studio, a real working studio in the last four years because we COVID and moving. And sure. so I've had to make do. And no matter what situation I'm in, I find the time to make art in some way. And I'm not sure if that is, it must be the playfulness. It must be because I don't have to do it. Right. I don't have to make art. It's just always been part of who I am as a person. And I'll have to say that uh, running is the same way. Like when I get up and go run, no one's telling me to do it and I don't have to do it. It's just, it's, it's something that relaxes me and calms my mind. And art is for me every day. I don't, I wouldn't say it's a playfulness. It's more of communicating because mm -hmm. I, I struggle with speaking clearly it, but with art, I can speak. I, it's just comes out. Yeah. So I think that's more of um, it's it's more of I I keep I guess it keeps getting bigger. So as a child, you're playing and everyone's like, oh, that's nice. You win this award. And then as I moved up in life my space got bigger to create because I think I demanded it more. It was more of, you know, I need more space to make more my point of view. Right. And, and that's where I am now. I, I mean, I, this space is specifically not for work that I have been doing, but for the next work that I'm going to do. So every time I have a new idea, it's been about a year or two that I think it through, and then I need to have the space to do it. Right. So I understand these environmental artists now because they they envision something out in a space, and then they have to go out there and, and do it. And I, I think that's what's happening with me um, with my studio situation, because it wasn't that long ago where I was at the kitchen table. And by the way, the past, Mm, six months I've been at the kitchen table working. So it's it's not a necessity, but it helps uh, my voice if I have more room and space to um, do what I want to do. And I think that I learned um, during a you know residency that I did this year that it's it's not unique to me. Everyone's doing it. It's it's just that you have to look and see, you know, there's so many people making art out there that isn't on a canvas. Right. And, and now that I understand that it's opened my world up to, I don't need these walls. I really don't. So I'm exploring now what, what can I do outside these walls? Because believe it or not, this brand new studio, I haven't even brought my paints into, the work is already done in my mind. The canvases I'm waiting on, there's there's 10 and they haven't arrived yet. And I just called and said, you know, where are they? Because they're already done in my head, they're done. And so now I'm thinking of the next series. Right. And so that will probably happen outside of, of this, this studio. Right. And I sense, but, but to make the, the art for this studio will take about a year or two and then you have to do all the marketing and then you have to do all the shows. And so then it drags out for about three years. So I, one thing I think that people don't understand is that um, it, it's easier to start over every single time you have a new idea instead of staying in the same space creatively. Because then you, you have the freedom, you're not being dragged back by something. You have the freedom to move forward something new and then let it go and then do something else. So I understand it historically the idea of series. Right. And, then, and maybe that's what it is about being a child and then an adolescent and then an adult and then an older individual 
is it's kind of like series of your life and you you have to keep moving forward and accept what's next instead of hanging on to the back. Right. And I and I think that like what you're describing too is kind of the depth and breadth of your imagination. Right. And so how how it has developed over time yeah. and and that you are at play when you're creating but you're also like you just said you kind of told me and Matt, you know, I have ideas for work and so I have to then manifest what I have to do to catch up with those ideas and to make them real. So it's like, I'm going to do all this work. Okay. Now I have to do a studio. And so then you have to catch yourself up to, to your broad imagination and what you can't help, but think ahead because you're so engaged in your creativity and you have carved out importance for it in your life. And I want to point out to the audience, you know, um, Michelle, this is her second career and she did not have a first career and then retire and say, I'm going to play around with some painting. <laughs> Instead, she like put a whole insurance um, kind of um, driven career behind her. You were an agent and you had your own agency. And then that ended and you, and you said, now I'm going to be an artist. And that was eight years ago? Uh, no, we're, we're going back a little further than that. So I, um... okay. In uh, when I graduated from high school, my my plan was to go. I have an art history undergrad degree, and because I was a third child, I had to pay for my education. I had loans when when I graduated. I had worked at Wadsworth Athenaeum in the museum there, and the I think my plan was to work for the museum and go to graduate school because that's kind of what you need to do in the museum business. Uh, but I had so many loans that I couldn't go into graduate school. And so for me, that it wasn't the end of it. It was just, okay, I need to pay these loans off. So I started to think of how can I make money? And so I did, I worked in galleries. I did art on the side. I tried to, I tried to make money, but there was no way I could make that much money. And during that time, I had a couple offers, pretty big ones for um, in the art business, like gallery director. But I I met a man, that's my ex-husband, and we I ended up move, dropping all our going to California because uh, he had an idea of uh, insurance agency for health insurance only for large companies. And I thought it was such a great idea because it was a residual type of situation and it at the time it was a really big money-making situation so I knew that and I knew that I really loved art I continued to work in the galleries to help with the new business and then during all the years of work which uh, you know you build a company it takes a long time I never I didn't paint or I didn't do any um, art, but it was there. I would, my children remind me on Mother's Day, I would force them to go to Carmel to go through all the galleries. Uh, you know, that, cause it was my day. So, sounds well, terrible. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, so I definitely always was knowing that I was going to do it, but for me working to make money to pay things was uh, my priority, you know, family for me. Um, so then when, we we kind of retired to the point where we didn't have to work every single day, 14 hours a day. And then I thought, okay, now's my chance to really do what I want to do. What What is that? So I, I gifted myself a workshop um, in Oregon and it was Betty Carr was the artist and it was a oil painting. And so that started the, uh, once you do one workshop, you want to do another. And so it was kind of like a treat for me. And then during those workshops, um, people, the workshop people would say, you should go to graduate school uh, for art. And so I ended up in two, when I was 40, 50, I graduated in 2013, graduated with my MFA. In nice. So that really started, that's when my career started. So 2013. I see. And that's when I said, okay, I have a, a five-year goal, 10-year goal, and here I am. Right. And then one of your goals um, was to have a museum show and you've already done that. 
Right, I did that in the fifth year, I think was when it was signed, you know, cause it's three years out. So mm -hmm. yeah, so that was, that was a big goal. Yes, and I mean, that's, I was actually just reading the article that we had, we did together and that's how we first met. And then I had a quote from the um, museum director and she captures the motion of the sea with lovely composition while giving an illusion, an illusion of movement that's so serene and believable, you think that you're there in person. And your constant exposure to the water has allowed you to manifest um, these compositions that are just so engaging, Michelle. And, you know, I don't, <laughs> when I think about it, I'm like, you know, Winslow Homer, he was good at it. <laughs> and Michelle John. That's <laughs> like, Thank you. you know, I don't know. I think that when you see, a, or at least for me, when I see a seascape, you know, they're not all the same, you know, um, artists don't necessarily capture the depth of, of that movement um, all the time. And what you've done with it has been phenomenal to me. And, and, and it seems like such a short period of time, but again, back to your childhood. And I had brought up the fact that you guys like to vacation, you know, on the water. And um, I kind of want to imagine you there, you know, with your family and how long you just sat there and stared. Because <laughs> every kid does that, right? right? Just like you were saying, walking along a stream, looking for the clay. I mean, again, you're, you're near the water. And here you end up in your first marriage, you're in California. So you're again by a shore. And then I understand also that you, of course, still have a home there and a studio there. And so you're, you're, you're coastal, but you're also in Arizona. But again, let's go back to the water, like how drawn you were into it as a kid, you know, um, how much time you spent in it, you know, I mean, all those beautiful perspectives. You could be a beach kid and not grow up to be an artist <laughs> many, many times over. And so I'm kind of like just curious about how engaged you you were in those moments and you carried that into your adult life and you kept the water in your peripheral and it matters to you. It does. Um, I grew up in Connecticut, which is a coastal state, and we live 30 miles from water, uh, the ocean. And my aunt, so my mother's sister, to this day that she still has a cottage, she's passed, but her kids, my cousins uh, still use it, but it's right on the water in Rhode Island. So uh, when school is out, my mom would take us uh, to the beach. And I can honestly say that I was so in touch with swimming in water. And I think again, because we were athletes as children, um, I mean, I could do flips off the diving board. Water to me was no different than air. So <laughs> I, can, I can recall being out in the ocean and not being able to see land at all and having no problem. No with fear. And nothing. And a lot, a couple of my paintings are like that where I removed the horizon line thinking of that moment because there's, as a child, that sense of freedom and water is, is probably the draw i think and and the feeling i whenever i get injured running i go to swimming and the feeling that you have in water against your body is uh it's almost like having a massage you know for the rest of the day you feel it and so my draw to water um it it's something i, I guess i'm a cancer i was born in july um I just, I seek it out wherever I go. I've always had a home on the water. Um, my home in Santa Cruz right now is going through a difficult time because of the storms. The I spent about from 2010 to maybe 2020, I only painted along the coastline there, it's Monterey Bay. And that's where all the paintings you see in the museum show. Um, and now because of the storms, almost all of that is gone. It's wow. uh, washed out. And it's really interesting to me and very sad because I was just there a couple of weeks ago and uh, the majority of it's gone and they're, they're, they're kind of thinking that they're just gonna take those man-made boulders and pile them up to protect the roads it's called Westcliff in Santa Cruz. 
And I'm keeping a close eye on it because, uh, yes, I want them to protect the um, the homes along along the ocean. But then part of me is it's going to destroy the beautiful sandstone cliffs and the wildlife that lives in it. Right. So part of me is wanting to go back to California and focus on the Monterey Bay and the environment and get involved in that a little more. Um, do I still paint it? I do, but not as not as much because I'm not there very often. And um, I'm I tend to my response to art is what's around me all the time. And yeah. because I'm only visiting California once a month, uh, and I go directly to the beach every time. It's not enough for me to be so inspired to produce a huge body of work. Right. So it's not necessarily water being the most important thing to me. It's more uh, a place I go to reconnect. And that has to do with my childhood, um, my, my, uh, ease with it. You know, some people are afraid of water and I, I don't understand that. And then the lack of water here, I'm, I'm in Vegas, Las Vegas. And even though we've had snow twice this week and a lot and rain there, it's dry. I have right. humidifiers running all the time. And when I go to sleep at night, I run the sound of water. So, uh, and I don't, you know, being a new Englander, it doesn't agree with me. So I think it's part of uh, who you are as an artist, as an adult, is definitely uh, an echo of who you were as a child, for sure. Absolutely. And I think also I want to talk just a little bit about the, um, the environmental concerns surrounding your California home yeah. um, and what you managed to capture as an artist along that coastline that has already changed. I remember on social media, you brought up a painting you had done and you thought about renaming it because there was a big piece of it that was just gone now. And so it's almost like uh, motivation for art changes all the time. And, it, and I feel like it's almost like the job of the landscape painter now to be like, I am capturing this for another reason because it's going to change. And, yeah. you know, our world is is more deeply affected all the time by the environmental changes. And so. Is that, do you feel like that's a weighty responsibility, Michelle? Um, you know, once you figure out if you can kind of hang out in California longer, you're gonna, <laughs> gonna run right out there and paint as much as you can because we're losing it. It's true. I think uh, in my specific area, there's a lot of artists south in Carmel and uh, Pacific Grove painting, and there's some north of me, but in my specific space area of about 15, 20 miles, there's very few artists out there painting and recording. Uh, yes, there's photographers and there's, um, you know, I don't even think there's historical paintings of the area on this, on that side of Monterey Bay. Mm. But yeah, I do feel like that it's my responsibility to continue that conversation and also to carry on the tradition of classical um, seascape painting. I because I've been trained classically and because I have the opportunity to spend time at the ocean, I, I feel I do have responsibility. And that's why I belong to organizations that support that. It doesn't necessarily mean that's my goals ahead to do, but it is something, someone just called the other day for a commission of a seascape and my, I could hear my husband say, oh, no, she doesn't do that anymore. And I said, no, 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 I, I'll do it. You know, if you know, if it's the right thing, I'll do it. So it's not gone. Okay. I, I know that I've changed um, styles and subject matter quite drastically, but I'm still growing. And I don't think people understand that I, I did start late. And so um, my my learning of what my capabilities are aren't finished yet, and so I need to keep pushing myself forward. And that's that doesn't have anything to do with turning back on work that I've already done. I still I still think it's important, um, and I may continue those conversations of and go deeper, but not right now. Right now, I'm in a new space and I'm reacting to it, and it's important that my my initial um 
response I get down, you know, and so that I because it comes from inside and not from hearing and seeing other people's work. Right. right. And you, you use the word again, response, and you talked about your art as a way of communicating. And I am wondering if you were, were you kind of a quiet kid? Oh yeah. I, I lived in my closet. It's, it's really, <laughs> it's not, it's not a bad thing. I loved it. Uh, I shared a room with my sister and she was four years older and, um, I read all the time, and so I put a desk, you know, one of those old wooden desks with connected chair, and it opens up, and I had a little light, and I would close the door, and I had my little space, and I had all my drawings on the wall in the closet, and that was my happy space. Um, so I, and I'm, I don't speak well, I have a slight lisp and I always searching for words in my head. So I, I'm more comfortable by myself. Um, I, I like other people and I like to go out, but I'm definitely the quiet one for sure. Right. Um, I, this is a lot for me to, to, to get out and say things. I'm more comfortable, um, just showing my work and not speaking. I like people like you that write about it for me. <laughs> That's helpful. Um, I, I'm yeah. just endlessly fascinated by the um, artistic mind. And I always like to, I, you know, I think people that don't read my writing um, maybe don't understand that I'm not an art critic and there's no way I would ever <laughs> even try. That's crazy. Um, it's more about like what motivates the artist to keep creating. Um, how do you maintain curiosity throughout your life? I mean, that's the only way you could be a professional at creating. Uh, you know, we kind of intend on this podcast to cover not just fine artists like yourself, but also culinary artists and writers. You know, there's so many ways to be a creative professional, but not everybody gets to do it. And so the questions are uh, uh, that we're trying to present are kind of like, you know, um, well, what did I write down just for you? I wrote, there's a quote. I'm looking at a list, you guys. Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once we grow up. Pablo Picasso. Yeah. Yeah. And so even Pablo Picasso was like, you could be an artist your whole life if you didn't have all these people telling you not to be. Or, <laughs> or however society can conditions us to believe. Like you said earlier, oh, that's fun. That's great. You got a blue ribbon. You know, you're still going to be an accountant, right? Like because <laughs> that's better, <laughs> you know, get into your square and make a living, you know? And so um, I think just like, so I have so many questions about like, <sighs> like it, it is a marriage of bringing your inner child to the fore and also saying, I have to be responsible enough as a creative professional to be successful at this. And that's full adulting, you know? Yes. But you're not a, you're not adulting in your studio when you're making art, are you? I mean, how much of that are you really doing? It's kind of what I want to know a little bit. Yeah, so crossing over from um, doing art for fun and making a living at it is very difficult uh, mindset because it sets up um, it sets up a lot of pressure from uh, people around you on um, how I used to be asked. How much art did you sell? How much art did you sell this week? Almost on a weekly basis by someone. And after a while, I I started I started to think to myself, well, why not? Why not make money doing what I love? Like what well, like why not sell it? Like why not be more professional? Admit that I'm an artist present myself as a professional and put it out there. It's, I mean, it's not going to hurt, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm right. going to spend all my time doing something I love because I've made the choice to do that, then why not let other people respect that and mm -hmm. pay for it? And so once I wrapped my mind around that, it became easier instead of always having an excuse of, um, well, I, you know, I don't, it's not an excuse. I think it's more of, 
it's more of just accepting that you're an artist and not that it's something I do for fun. I think right. that's the biggest turning point. And to make it fun is it is fun. So I don't like I don't understand the difference. I think that people who are struggling to make money as artists maybe are they're they're trying to do something that another successful artist is doing and it's not working for them. So I think if you become more honest and confident in your own skills, then you portray that to other people and then they become more comfortable in accepting that. So they'll they'll um, I mean, if I, I sold paintings for $200 and now I can sell them for 30,000 and nothing has changed except how I present my work and myself mm -hmm. and the confidence that you have in your own work has to come from within, not from anyone else, not from any awards, because there's so many people out there who don't have a background, uh, in education or from masters or they don't have like a great studio they don't and they're they're doing fine they're making right. money there and and if you don't have money to do any art there's so many sources out there that you can seek out and there's i mean so many i can't even believe it and you you can get that support it's your own self that's telling you if you can't do something right. or that you're not good enough. It, but once you change that mindset, um, yeah, it's you, you can become a professional and own it. You have to own it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think also just kind of agreeing with yourself that there is value to creativity. Yeah. You have to, you have to believe in your own value of who you are and for other people to, to, put their money into it. Right. Well, you have to embody your value for people to see it. Yes. Right. Um, and then I'm also right now, I'm kind of digging into um, the artist way again. I did it a long time ago. And um, Julia Cameron said, creativity requires faith. Faith requires that we relinquish control. And I think that kind of goes back to like, um, <laughs> you had someone asking you, how much money did you make off your art this week? And my first gut reaction as a writer is like, God, that's really insulting. Quit asking me that. <laughs> but you took it as a challenge and kind of said to yourself, wait a second, can I do that? Like, <laughs> I could do that, right? You know, and um, I think when you are, when you're coming out of your childhood and you're, you're trying to be geared toward being an adult, this thing that Julia Cameron just said about control, coming out of your childhood, it requires control. Um, you're put into the world because you are supposed to give back to society in some way, but you know, by being a worthwhile human being, and that means you should get a job. And you know, it's just all really kind of built into the structure of you know what our culture says you should be doing to make a living. But again, when you relinquish control and you allow yourself to be creative, you know that could blow up for you if if you. It sounds to me like you just can't beat it back, Michelle. You know, when you go back to the kitchen kitchen table, I think that during our interview, you said something like, it didn't matter what I was doing for a living, I was always finding a way to be creative. And right. so you, you weren't always saying be in control. You were saying, no, let yourself play a little. And look how far it's taken you. Like that, that evolution is astonishing to me. And, and again, like I, I'm ask, I wanna ask a lot of questions about your curiosity, how you maintain that. But it sounds like it, just as an individual, you are innately observant and you kind of can't stop. Um, you talked about, I create in the environment that I'm in. And that requires just really accurate skills of observation, being able to be still, you know, taking time to observe, you know, in this day and age, many, many people cannot do that. You know, so you're allowing that creativity to live and grow within you and you're maintaining an environment for yourself that it feeds it. Um, what about your own children? Are they driven to create? You have four kids, right? I have two daughters. And then my husband, Mark, has two daughters. Right. So I'm married, and so we have four daughters. And, and, your, and your husband's a classically trained pianist. He is, he is. Uh, from childhood. 
So he doesn't do it for a living, um, but it, it is something he will turn to for enjoyment for himself, right? So it's, right. Uh, I'd like to see him um, do more of it. And, and But I understand as a musician, he'll sit down for 20 minutes and just start playing. And usually people around will like, that's really good. But if you leave him alone and walk away, that 20 minutes turns into an hour and then two hours. And then in the two hours, I can hear the difference, how deep he goes. And so I'm not a musician, but I understand that that's, I can see you have a guitar in the background. Uh, it's the same concept is, uh, you know, if, if he's given the chance to go that deep, right? He can do anything he wants. But you can it's literally. Just, that's not, you can hear that's him go awesome. into flow. Yeah, you can he, hear him. He get into his flow. Yeah, and I don't. I can't hear music at all, but I could hear it. I could. I it. It gives me chills because artists, you do the same thing in painting. Um, but I, what was the question? It was more of. Well, I was wondering if. Um, oh, my um, children. Yeah, if any, even so, even his yeah. children. I mean, are, are any yeah. of them creatively kind of uh, leaning? So his his youngest daughter uh, was product design major at Stanford. So she has a mix of um, artist and um, math. And then my youngest daughter. We talked about her uh, presenting a portfolio for college, um, but they all the kids went the business. Uh, route right now i see um, but they're creative right um my youngest is in marketing and so she's she uh is a brand manager director so she oversees a uh, art department and things like that so she is she is like manage she has really i guess it's like she has a good taste she has good taste in uh you know these big ad campaigns you know like she when when they bring all the information to her she's able to say this isn't working and i think maybe it is from the training from me um but she was she was like me always coloring nice. always tasting cutting and then my other daughter was more into animals it was like dinosaurs horses dogs so yeah i can see that and same with my siblings, like my sister was into animals and then, you know, my brother was math and the other brother was building things and I drew. So there you right. go. It's kind yeah. of where careers went. I like to say that um, I think part of my childhood that comes comes into my life now is my love of animals. And um, I was just talking to an artist the other day and he's like, you know, I at those big functions, I kind of hang in the corner and I'm like, oh, well, I'm the one on the floor with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> like my, my inner child has to do with, um, I think, freehand write, writing and stream of consciousness, which is um, another creative exercise from Julia Cameron, actually. And then my tendency to just let my a complete guard down if there's a dog in the room, like I can't, I can't. And so I become five and I sing. I don't sing to anyone. I sing um, to release tension. And I've been doing that since I was about, since I could talk. That's awesome. Yeah, and that was something my late mother imparted on my sister and I. There, there used to exist a recording of us singing Delta Dawn <laughs> by Helen Reddy, and I still know all the words. And, you know, so, you know, as a freelance writer, I'm, I'm, I gotta be hungry, I gotta chase, I gotta chase a bottom line constantly, but, and I don't always get to write creatively. I, I write nonfiction articles for periodicals, you know. Yeah. But my creativity comes forward in the, in the manner in which I approach my work um, with the singing and I doodle and there's all kinds of different ways. You're talking about how your daughter kind of has an aesthetic eye. And I also really believe that um, living an aesthetic life is living an artful life. Bringing into your environment what, what turns you on you know what i've got you know toy cars for no reason <laughs> i don't have kids you know <laughs> there is a guitar behind me i don't know how to play it yet it's there because i'm supposed to oh. learn <laughs> i don't know how i'm gonna start with the chord of g i'm really crossing my fingers but um yeah it's there because I, I need to inspire myself all the time I, that's the best way for me to live 
And I think people lose sight of um, the simplification behind what can inspire them. They, you know, they've grown up, they've, they've got the trappings of adulthood. It's easy to become a cynic. <laughs> Especially um, with social media, you're right. It is. It is. And I, and I think that creativity could save us all. And even on a smaller scale, if you want to take up letter writing or, you know, go to a local arts council and throw some pottery, you know, but I think society conditions us to be successful at every single thing we do. And when you're being creative and you're playing, there is no success or failure. You're just doing it and it's gratifying and people forget. I mean, we're in a short attention span world and even taking the time to be still like you have to be to, to be able to pay attention enough to do your job. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you said that you write in a stream of consciousness as an activity. Yeah, that's really, really important because artists as a visual artist, you, I have to do the same exact thing and it's not doodling and it's not um, drawing um, or sketching or anything like that. It is actually processing an idea and going through it and then realizing it's a failure and then setting it aside and restarting. And if you don't continue to do that, then you don't have a breakthrough. Ah. And I think that maybe that's what you're doing with the writing, because a, a lot of times I'm working on something and someone will say, what is What are you doing? But it doesn't matter what I'm doing. It's it. I need to do it to get to the next thing. Right. And I, people are afraid because you can see it, whereas your writing is a little more private. They can see it and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> and. It, if I was someone who was easily hurt my feelings, I'd be like, oh my God, like, don't look at it. But I don't care because what I see is what's going to happen down the road. And I know they don't get it. So I, I'm not offended. Right. And you're just working it out. I'm working it out. That's and all you're I'm, doing. I'm, I, I won't give any more excuses anymore. It's just that it is what it is. Sometimes. Uh, my husband will look at something and then he just raises his eyebrows and walks away. But, you know, something will come out of it. Yeah, agree. And I mean, I, I encourage everyone um, to keep trying new things because that's the only way you're going to see your capabilities. And I don't know if I told you the story where I was asked by a friend to do a mural. Did I tell you that story? It was um, back when I was um, just taking workshops and a friend of mine was doing a um, um, raising money for um, it was prom dresses for people who couldn't afford prom dresses. They had this huge warehouse and all these donations. And then if you qualify, you come in and you get prom dresses and they wanted me to do a mural. And it was supposed to be this huge crown from the company Juicy. And I was like, uh, sure, I'll do it, you know? And so I looked online and asked people, how do you do a mural? And their best way is project it. So I drew a picture of what it was gonna be and I got a projector and I marched down to the where I was supposed to go. And I show up and there's like 40 people standing there to watch me paint this mural. And I was like, oh my God, I thought I was gonna be alone. And then to top it off, it had all glass windows and the wall, so there's no way to make it dark for the projector. Oh. So then I thought, <laughs> oh my God, I can't project this. And so then I had a ladder and I had the paper in my hand and they're all standing around staring at me. And I was like, I just, I have to just go for it. And I was able to be against the wall and do a massive mural. And it was all, it all came out perfect. And I actually got down the ladder, stepped all the way back at the people and looked at it. And I was like, oh my God, I guess I can do murals. Like I had no idea. Now, I could have easily gotten mad. I could have left. I could have been upset. I could have, but I just was, I was like, Let's just go for it. And then they wanted me, oh, well, this is so great. How about can you do another one around the corner? And I'm like, sure, why not? 
because I didn't know I had that skill. So you don't put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable and really put you at your limit. You're never going to learn your capabilities. Right. If you keep repeating yourself over and over again, it is so boring and you're going to be bored and everyone else is going to be bored and you'll never know what you can accomplish. Right. Yeah. Don't try and talk yourself out of it. Jump into it. Yeah, and then and if you do something and it's a failure, you just be like, well, I guess I'm not good at that. <laughs> Move on. Yeah, I love that attitude, Michelle. It, it really is almost like treating everything like an adventure. And, you know, just you got to set aside that failure mechanism that's going to that that tells you, you know, good effort. <laughs> I mean, something good will come out of it no matter what, actually. You know, you learn that you can't do it or you learn that you're actually good at something you didn't know you were good at and you just got another mural job standing right and there. Who's to say what is good or bad? I've learned that Agree. every every gallery um, show I've seen from the very best to the very worst, there's always someone who loves every painting. So who's to say? Right. To, there's something right for everyone and, and there's no one to judge that. There, you know, I just... I think everyone should just try the best they can and put it out there, put it yeah. out there in the universe and then see, see what response you get. And if it's negative, it doesn't mean it's negative against you. Right. It's, right. So I, yeah, yeah. I'm, art, is, art is subjective. And uh, speaking about putting stuff out there, what do you got going on in 2023? Anything uh, interesting but aside from your amazing studio that I can't wait to see all the things hanging? I, well, I can't make any announcements yet, but I am waiting on something pretty good. Okay. And that's where all these paintings will go. So that I can't tell you anything right now, not until um, next month. Okay. But um, it, it is a series of large work. Very large. Nice. Uh, very large. Because and I'm finding that I can do ac- action painting, active action painting. So, and I'll videotape it all because um, I was a gymnast and when I was a kid, and I think that having to perform by yourself up on a balance beam or whatever, I think that I'm comfortable um, doing things, I guess with my body that is uh, active uh, without like, I just go all out. Like I'm able to use both hands when I paint and I'm able to paint up close with, but knowing that what it'll look like further back. And right. these are, this is an activity that I didn't know because I was, I could do because I was working on a canvas all the time or a little tiny plain air kit. And so I didn't know I had this ability to, to do this more i think it's called is it action action painting i think it is yeah so that's what this this work will be it'll be more um it'll be it'll be bigger let's just say bigger i can't wait to see the footage it's gonna be good yeah and what and and i will continue to do all my club work so i do um california art club american society marine artists guild of boston artists um, Salma Gundy Club, you know, they have expectations um, and shows throughout the year. So I try to meet those obligations. Nice. Also. And your website, michellejungstudio.com, is that right? Yeah, right now it's michellejungstudio.com. There's other ones that are close to it, but um, Michelle Jung Studio is the active one right now. And what's your preferred IG account so the audience can take a look at your work? Um, Michelle Jung's studio. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Because there's it. two. I'm trying but- to keep it all the same. My marketing daughter said you have to have everything the same. So I'm, it's, I think everything is Michelle Jung's studio. That's really nice to have a built-in marketing machine like that, Michelle. I, no, I wish, I wish I had a built-in, but I have to pull it out of her. She's so busy. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I, if I could afford to hire her, I would. But I'm not there yet. I like to pay for my own things and I'm not, I'm not quite there yet for a full-time assistant. I would like one though. Right. You're getting there, lady. 
Well, I, I need one, but that's just the way it is. I, I don't have one, so I have to do all my social media and all my um, packaging and client relations. It takes up a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, there's so much follow through involved, especially when people take an interest in your work and you want to keep them close and, right. you know, build your client family, really. I'm now staying in touch and all that stuff. Right. But yeah, well, this has been such an immense pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. I didn't get at the beginning to say thank you, but I appreciate it, Matt. <laughs> oh, Matt and I are so grateful for you, Michelle, because your your flexibility has been amazing. And um, uh, leading up to this, I kept saying, at least I know her. I'm not going to be nervous because I know her. Because, you know, episode one, we got it. <laughs> yeah. And I'll have to, when these walls are filled, which will be by September, Hopefully, that's my goal. I will let you in to uh, get a sneak peek. Yeah, and we're actually closer than we've ever been because you're in Nevada and I'm in near Jackson Hole. Right. And that's not crazy undrivable. I mean, I could probably make it. It's better yeah. than Colorado versus California. So we're getting closer, Michelle. Right. <laughs> All right, Matt, what do you say? That was wonderful. Thank you so much, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah thank you. Thank you for having me. Definitely. Advanced Pretend is a podcast produced by Nine Stories Creative Podcast Studios, created by Jen Ryan, executive produced and edited by Matt Jackson. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.